Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. I want to welcome all of you who are joining our 11 o'clock service online, and thank you for sharing the service, and it's great to see so many faces in the audience uh, with us this morning. Uh, Give yourself a hand. Volunteers are winning the house. We're glad you guys are here bringing that energy, and I'm glad you guys are watching online. It's been amazing to see the numbers of people during this time whose lives have been impacted simply because you're taking a moment and sharing these services with family and friends. Never underestimate the power of your witness through this technology uh, to change and shape someone's life. And we've been in a series we've called Exile, Exile. And we've been talking about how solitary places can become sacred spaces and how God can speak into your life something meaningful, something significant, even something supernatural when you're in a place of exile. And sometimes people go into places of exile, they're not in very good shape when they get there. Sometimes they have to go through a difficult time while they're there. But everyone who goes into exile and everyone who has had these experiences, they found the presence of God. They found the reality that he doesn't forsake you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're thinking. And we're going to see that this morning in the life of one of the greatest men that ever lived. His name was David. And David went into exile. In fact, we're going to see this morning, he went into a cave called the Cave of Adullam. Adullam, the name Adullam means refuge, refuge. David went to a place seeking refuge. He thought, if I could just get out of my life for a little while, if I could just escape the pressures that I'm facing for a little while, if I could just find refuge, I could kind of get reoriented. I I might even get uh, a new vision of what God wants me to do. But he goes into this place of refuge. Really, instead of seeking God as his refuge, he was seeking a place as a refuge. And I don't know, I think we've all been guilty of that. Have you ever had gone through an experience in life where you just said, man, just stop the world and let me off for a little while? If I could just get to a beach somewhere, if I could change my latitude, I could change my attitude. If I could just get to a mountain somewhere, right? Sometimes we look at these places of refuge as being some place that can change our outlook and change our attitude. And the reality is, as David discovered, when the problem is within you, there's nowhere you can go to get away from you. Because no matter where you go, there you are. And David would soon learn that even in a place he was seeking refuge, he had to deal with some things that he was processing in his heart and in his mind. And this morning, I want to talk about how places of refuge can become places where God can empower his people. How sometimes he will allow exile for the purpose of power. Where you may go in in one attitude, you may go into exile with one outlook, but you'll come out with a different attitude. You can come out empowered and ready for the tasks that God has before you. And so when you look into the narrative we're going to study, keep in mind that this young man, David, was seeking Adullam as a place of refuge. He was seeking Adullam as a place of escape 
while he could try to figure out his life and figure out what God was up to in his life and how he would navigate through some of the most difficult experiences of life. And again, let me stop long enough to say some of the best people I know go through some of the hardest experiences of life. Doesn't matter how close to God you are or how close to God you are not, you will not be exempt from trouble in your life. The Bible says in this world, we're going to have tribulation. And when you look into the Bible, the very best people that God ever, ever gave life to struggle with trials and difficulty and stresses and pressures and problems. And David was not exempt from that. In fact, David is a great example of a great example of how you can go into exile trying to figure your life out and walk out of that solitary place discovering a new vision and discovering a new power and discovering new purpose for your life. So if you'll look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we'll see our text. Two verses I want to call to your attention. And the Bible says, David, therefore, now remember when you see the word therefore, you always stop and ask what it's there for. The word therefore connects what he's just said with what he's about to say. Therefore connects what has just happened with what is about to happen. What is the therefore, therefore? Well, keep in mind, David has killed Goliath. Suddenly he has gone from anonymity to popularity. All of a sudden, everybody knows who David is. Even Saul, the king, knows his name. He has become popular because of his exploits against Goliath. Wasn't long after that, he gets married. It isn't long after that, he joins with Saul and he fights the Philistines and he becomes known as this young, vibrant warrior. But we also see in the therefore that he had become the object of Saul's scorn, that Saul had felt threatened by David and now David is a, a fugitive and David is on the run. And so the Bible here says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And so when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went there, uh, down there to him. When the people who loved him most and knew him best heard the despair of his soul, they wanted to come and encourage him. They wanted to come and be with him. And friend, if you've ever gone through something, you learn to appreciate the people that you have in your life who just want to be there with you and want to try to help you. And David was there in the cave of Adullam, and certainly the, the, the word got out among his closest family and friends. This is where he is. And they went to him understanding the desperation of his soul. And not only that, the Bible says in verse 2, everyone who was in distress, listen to the description of these people who came. They were in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. You're distressed, you're in debt, and you're discontented. Can you relate to that group of people? And that's the people that you talk about misery loves company. They just said, man, our boy is in the cave, and we're going to go to him because we're going through something similar to him. And I can tell you, man, people have a way of finding one another when you're in pain. You have a way of finding one another when you're in trouble. And these guys were drawn to David because they knew he could relate to what they were going through. So here they come. And the Bible said he became a captain over them. And listen to how many of them there were. There were about 400 men with him. Now, obviously, Adullam was connected with caverns, and there was a lot of room in those caves for that many people to be able to, to, to exist. And my point is, these people were attracted to each other because they had something in common. They were going through a common experience, and there in the cave of Adullam, David was going to encounter some amazing things. But the first thing I want you to see as we kind of get into this talk this morning is this idea that David faced opposition. 
And I call it this morning the opposition that he feared. There was something that drove David into the cave. Think about David, this man, as I referenced a moment ago, who not, not that uh, 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 much time earlier, David had been the guy who uh, walked up and saw Goliath, remember the giant uh, of the Philistines, the champion of the Philistines, and he was threatening the people of God, the army of God, and saw throughout the challenge and said, send out one man to fight me, and if that one man can defeat me, I'll surrender. Our whole army will surrender to you. And all the guys are cowering in the rocks. And David's dad, Jesse, had sent food to his brothers who were on the front lines. And, and instead of David getting there seeing a shooting war, he sees a shouting match. <laughs> David thought he's going to see some action. And he's a little kid. He's excited about it. Instead, he sees his brothers hiding in the rocks. And he sees this nine-foot giant of a man, this warrior in the valley. And he's defying the armies of God. And David says, man, isn't there a cause? Isn't there a point? Isn't there a reason we're here? Don't we have something to fight for and something to defend? Why are we cowering in the rocks? We represent the God of heaven, and he didn't understand. And you well know the story how that uh, David went, and he, he, he became the one who would represent all of them to stand before Goliath. And he took a slingshot with five stones. And first shot took that guy down. He killed Goliath. So this is the same David who had faced down Goliath. And by the way, you know how far Adullam was from where David killed Goliath? It was less than two miles. Two miles. So here's David now hiding in the cave, keeping in mind that he had faced this giant not long ago. He had faced this giant just a few months earlier and defeated him because he saw how much uh, smaller the giant was than God was, instead of seeing how much bigger the giant was than he was, David had the right outlook, he had the right perspective, and God gave him victory. But listen, don't miss this. The same man who had victory over here against Goliath is now fearful and hiding in a cave as he faces Saul. I mean, two of the biggest giants in his life, one, this nine-foot enemy of God, and this other, this former friend of his, this man that he had so much admiration and respect for, this man who had betrayed David's friendship. And listen, David was more fearful of Saul than he ever was Goliath. And I can tell you there's something powerful about betrayal. There's something power of, of, of powerful about someone that is close to you and someone who once loved you and someone who once cared for you when they turn on you. David had a bigger challenge uh, trying to deal with Saul than he ever did with Goliath. Goliath didn't chase David into a cave. Saul did. Goliath didn't scare David, and uh, Goliath, David knew how God could deliver him from the hand of Goliath, and he did. It's the same guy facing a different giant, and in one, he's fearful, and the other, he's faithful. And I want to tell you, you can be very powerful at one point in your life, and all of a sudden, you, you, your whole world can change, and you can become very fearful in another area of your life. And this man suddenly is facing this fierce opposition. The most powerful man in the then-known world has set his sights to take David out. And I wondered about that. What happened? What happened? I mean, Saul wasn't always like this. What caused Saul to turn on David? Now, I know when you begin to connect dots and you read the record and you try to figure out the relationship between the two men, it doesn't make sense. 
Saul started out to be a very good man. In fact, there are two Sauls in the Bible. There's a Saul of the Old Testament and the Saul of the New. The Saul of the New Testament became the Apostle Paul, you remember. The Saul of the Old Testament was a good man who went bad. The Saul of the New Testament was a bad man who went good. And the Saul of the Old Testament was a good man. You read 1 Samuel 10, the Bible said God gave Saul a new heart. That's metaphorically speaking that God changed his life. Saul was a man who early in his life believed in God. He pursued God. Saul was a man who, who, who reverenced God. So he was a good man. You see him in this season of life. David becomes part of his family. His best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. David had sat at the table with King Saul. He had fellowship with him. In fact, when Saul went through bouts of depression and anxiety and anger, it was David that Saul summoned. David was a musician. He played the harp. He sang. So Saul would say, come, David, and play. And all of a sudden, the music of David would soothe his soul. So I'm suggesting to you that there was a relationship that these two men had that was close. Saul was kind of like an adopted father to David, a father figure. He had so much respect for him. And during that period of time in their life, uh, Saul was walking with God and there was anointing on his life. But I think something happened when you get to 1 Samuel 18, when suddenly the fame of David is becoming as big as the fame of Saul. One of the things that led to the downfall of King Saul was his pride. Um, a contrast between the two kings, King Saul, King David, Saul was a driven man. David was a led man. It's difference between what motivates you, something that drives you or something that leads you. And can I say kind of parenthetical to that? God will always lead you and the devil will always pressure you. If you feel pressured to make a decision, you feel pushed to make a decision, that's probably not coming from God. So I'd say hit the pause button until you have peace because when God leads you in a direction, he will lead you in that direction where the devil will push you and pressure you. And Saul was a man who started out following God, had the heart of God, but something happened in his heart and mind and he now becomes driven. And a lot of that is due to his uh, feeling threatened by David's popularity. Like I said, David jumped on the, on the, on the theater, on the, on the headliner. He became a, a big deal when he killed Goliath. You read 1 Samuel 18. The Bible says there were some young women who wrote songs about David. And the song was, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Man, Saul didn't need to tune that in in the chariot radio because that, did, that messed with his head. There's something about the male ego. And all of a sudden, he's hearing these pretty girls sing about how David is so much better than he is and so much more victorious than he is. And I think something happened in his head and his heart because he struggled with pride. And this man who had once pursued God, this man who once walked with God, is now dealing with some issues in his heart that ultimately, get this, will take him away from God. You read 1 Samuel 18, or 13, and when they, they go to fight the Philistines, God said, I want a sacrifice to be offered, but wait on the priest to get there before you offer it. And Saul was impetuous, and he went ahead and offered the sacrifice on behalf of the priest. God said, I didn't want you to do that. I anointed the priest to do that. Offended God. And man, by the time you get to 1 Samuel 28, Saul is consorting with a witch. He's listening to this witch of Endor. 
And here is a man who started out pursuing God, walking with God. He got ahead of God, and now he's running away from God. And he's motivated by the wrong spirit. And can I tell you, there are three dominant spirits in your life that will motivate you to good or to evil. One is the human spirit. We all have a spirit. The Bible says the spirit of a person will sustain their infirmity. The Bible says we are to glorify God in our bodies and our spirit, which is attitude. So I got a spirit, you got a spirit. Sometimes we do what we do because we're led by our own spirit. Then there is the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus. We're sealed in the deal and salvation. And the Holy Spirit desires to guide us, to guard us. He desires to be everything and all things to us. He wants to fill us every day so that we make good decisions. But if you quench, grieve, or hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're only left with two influences. One is your spirit, and the other is a hellish spirit. So I got a human spirit, I got a Holy Spirit, I got a hellish spirit. There's an unholy spirit. You know that? In fact, in Ephesians 6, Paul talked about the spiritual warfare. He said, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Listen, there's an evil spirit out there. The, the Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible says God hasn't given us, get a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Don't, don't, don't ever underestimate the power of the enemy. And I'm suggesting you, one of the strongest men, the first king of Israel, Saul, was a great man who at one time had the heart of God, pursued God, but he got ahead of God and ran away from God because he was influenced by the wrong spirit. So I would caution you and just simply say, if this can happen to the very best that the Bible records, it can happen to the rest. So be careful what spirit you listen to. The Bible says, try the spirits to see if they're of God. God will never lead you to do anything that goes against his word or his will for your life. So I'd say look before you leap. <laughs> Understand what spirit you're listening to and what is the influence of your life. Who's trying to guide you and which direction is he trying to take you? He took Paul or, or Saul the wrong way. And as a result, he set his sights on killing David. The young man that had sat at his table, the young man who was best friends with his son. The young man who had never wanted anything but to serve him and to please him. The young man who wanted nothing but to have Saul's favor on his life. And Saul turns on David. And again, I go back to say there's nothing harder to deal with than betrayal. Betrayal, by the way, the word betrayal denotes something that can only come from someone close to you. An enemy can't betray you, only a friend. And if you've been betrayed, you're in good company. Jesus had 12 that he selected, and one of them betrayed him. He sat at the table at the Lord's Supper. You know what Jesus did? He fed his betrayer. All these times, all these experiences that Judas had watching Jesus, and yet he was a betrayer. It's a hard thing to deal with is when you allow someone to in, come into that inner circle of your heart, and you invite them to get close to your life, and all of a sudden they turn on you. They say things about you that are untruthful and, and wrong. And even the things they say about you that are right is unfair. So I'm just suggesting to you that if you've ever walked down that road, you understand the heart of David and you understand that he was facing someone like he had never faced before and he became filled with fear. And the sad thing is the second thing I want to talk about and that is the tendency is when you face opposition, listen, opposition can become oppression there was an oppression he felt 
What I mean by that, I meant what he was fighting out here, he had to start fighting in here. And man, it's, it's a terrible thing when your problems really become your problems. I mean, when all of a sudden the things you're dealing with out here, the financial pressure, the business stresses, the problems with relationships, now all of a sudden it's in your head. It's affecting how you think. It's disturbing your peace of mind. You're not able to sleep because what you were dealing with out here, this, uh, this opposition now has become oppression. It's taken on a life of its own. It's living inside of your mind. And can I tell you, there's every uh, possibility in the world that when you go through a difficulty in life, if you don't handle it right, it's very possible for that problem and that difficulty of your life to begin to take on a life of its own and begin to affect how you think. And man, when you're dealing with oppression, can I tell you this morning, the greatest battle is the battle for your mind. And I'm convinced the more I go that that is the enemy's greatest desire is to affect your mind. Because once you've given your heart to Jesus, he really can't affect your soul, but he can affect your mind. He can affect how you think. That, you remember the proverb that says, as one thinks in their heart, so will they be. And when you think about that, really what he's saying is you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So if he can get you to think wrong, he'll get you to be wrong. And this thing of opposition of Saul became oppression in the cave with David, and it's reflected in his writings. He wrote three psalms that I'm aware of while he was in the cave. And when you read the psalms that he wrote while he was in that condition, one of them, it's obvious that he was feeling oppression. It was obvious that this thing had become a part of his thinking and in his mind, and it was in his head. It wasn't the Saul on the outside of the cave now that was the biggest threat, but it was the, the, the thing that was going on in David's mind inside the cave that was the larger threat. Oppression's a powerful thing. Somebody said, oh man, I'm afraid the devil, I'm afraid he's after my job. I want to tell you, the devil doesn't want your job. What would he do with your job? Well, the devil's trying to get my car. He doesn't want your car. Devil's after my house. He doesn't want your house. What would he do with your house? Well, he's after my kids. You don't want your kids half the time. Why would he want them? He's after my spouse. I don't even go there. Here's what he's after. And don't forget that he's after your mind. Because if he can get your mind, he'll get the rest of that. Right? So I'm saying, and I don't want you to miss it, there's the battle that goes on. is the battle of our minds, the battle of our thoughts. And this is what was happening to David, and he didn't even realize the oppression that he was under was really messing with, with his outlook. 142nd Psalm is a psalm. It opens, this is a prayer of David when he was in the cave. Listen to a little bit of what he was writing, and you can sense his oppression. He says, I'm crying out to God. I'm pouring out my troubled thoughts. I mean, he admits it right there in the 142nd thought. I'm pouring out my, my troubled thoughts. I'm troubled in how I'm thinking. I'm declaring before God my trouble. He said, they've secretly set a snare before me. He said, if I walk out of this cave, there's a trap out there. I know, I, I don't even know where to put my foot. There's a snare. The enemy is after me. Every step I take. I mean, you, you see how he's dealing. It, it's, it's this thing in his head. He said, I look on my right hand and see there's none who acknowledges me, refuge has failed me, no one cares for my soul. Really? Didn't I say his family and friends were there and 400 other jokers were in the cave with him? <laughs> 
And yet his perspective was so skewed because his thinking was so bad that he couldn't see the support he had all around him. Man, when that oppression hits you and that becomes a reality in you, you can feel alone in a crowded room. You can feel misunderstood and you can, you can feel that way around the people who love you most. The devil can so mess with your head that you don't even see people as they are because you're seeing them as you are. And this was one of the things that was happening in, in David's life in the cave. And the Bible said, remember the word? He said, refuge failed me. I thought he went to Adullam for refuge. And when he got where he thought he needed to be, there was no refuge there. Remember I said you can go to the mountains or you can go to the ocean or you can try to run, but if the problem is within you, there's no refuge. You can find if the trouble is within you because no matter where you go, remember, there you are. But something happened to David. Something happened to him. While he was in this cave writing these psalms, pouring his heart out with God, feeling misunderstood, feeling isolated as he was insulated and, and not seeing the support that was around him, something happened. There was a breakthrough. Something happened. There was, a, there was a, a, an epiphany. There was a moment when David kind of, he kind of came to himself. Reminded me of the prodigal in Luke 15 where he took his inheritance and ran from his father and wasted his money and ended up taking care of the pigs. And while he was in the pig pen, he thought about how far he had fallen and how far he had gone from the favor of his father and the blessings of his family. And the turning point for the young prodigal is in that beautiful verse, verse 17 of Luke 15, where it says, you ready? He came to himself. You never change anything about your life till you have that moment of clarity where you come to yourself. And you say, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing here? My father's the king. He's the creator. He's the God of the universe. How have I let the enemy beat me so far down and almost defeat? What am I doing? Why am I driven by fear? Why am I so worried all of a sudden now by what might happen to me, right? I mean, why am I afraid all the time? And why am I fear? Why have I let the enemy beat me into a place and affect my thinking? And he has taken my joy from me. He came to himself. And in that cave, David came to himself. He had this epiphany in the cave. And it's the third thing I want you to see. And that is he, this optimism that he found. All of a sudden, man, he gets a hold of the controls of his life and he starts pulling the nose of that plane back up. And I think the principle is that when David got to the end of himself, he realized this was just the beginning of God. The problem with some people like David is not that you're too weak. The problem is you're too strong. David wasn't a weak man. You don't stand against Goliath and take him out as a weak man. He wasn't a weak man. He was too strong. As long as you're doing what you can do to fix you, God will let you. And he will let you to bring you to the end of you so that you can realize it's not you, but it's him living in you. Paul said, it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. David was relying on his own energy. And when he got to the end of himself and his energy was gone and he was depleted, Paul in the New Testament, the other Saul, would write, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
David found something in the darkness of the cave. He found a power that he never knew he had. But he had to get to the end of himself before he found that power. You know what I really believe about our faith? I believe our faith ripens in the dark. I believe the fruit of the Spirit ripens in the dark. I believe our faith is developed in the dark. Some of you guys may remember this. There was a time when you had to take film to a little kiosk in the parking lot of the grocery store or whatever to get it developed. You remember that? And you had to take film and you had to leave it with someone and a few months later, <clears throat> they would develop it and you get your pictures back. And I've had friends who are into photography and they still use that, that art of developing film, but they would take the film into a place called a dark room. And in the dark room, the film was developed. Just enough light to expose it too little, too much, you know, but just enough. And I thought about our faith in that way. Our faith is developed in the dark. You don't know how strong you are till your faith is tested. David went into a cave seeking refuge, listen, instead of going to God to seek refuge. God let him. God will let you. I'm sure the Lord stood back and said, son, I'm your refuge, but if you want to try to find it in a cave and help yourself, <laughs> Whatever melts your spiritual butter, boy, go for it. And the Lord was bringing David to a point to realize it's not a geographical location. It's not a point on a map. It's not a place that I can go to when the problem is within me. I've got to work this out with my heavenly father and realize Adullam is not my refuge, but God is my refuge. And David was connecting the dots and realizing that God is the place you run to. He's your place of refuge. You know why? Oh, man. Colossians 3, verse 3. Our life is hidden. It's hidden. Listen to the words. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. You know why that's significant? The enemy cannot kill what he cannot find. The enemy can't kill what he can't find. You know why he can't kill you? He can't find you. You know why? Your life is hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said, all the Father has given to me are in my hand, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. Not only can they, he not be, you can't be plucked from his hand, you can't even jump out of his hand. And I'm just suggesting to you that nothing can hit your world without God permitting it. And if he permits it, he has a purpose in it. But sometimes he lets us run around and run around and run around till we come to the end of ourselves to realize he's all we need. And we realize he's been there all the time. And you see that beautifully illustrated when David begins to write the 57th Psalm. He talks about his humility. He talks about the praise that he's now offering God. He talks about the thanks that he's now giving God. As he writes that Psalm, his whole attitude has changed. His outlook is different, right? And you know what I believe? I believe his outlook was connected to his uplook. And when your outlook changes, it's because your uplook changed. All of a sudden, remember what he learned back here at Goliath? He had forgot over here with Saul. Back here with Goliath, remember? He saw how much bigger God is than Goliath was. Over here, he saw how much bigger Saul is than he was. And all of a sudden, God changed his perspective and said, Son, did, did you forget? I'm the God that brought you. I, I delivered you over here. Do you think I delivered you over here to let you die over there? <laughs> you think I brought you through this? To frustrate you in this? Sometimes we just forget. You know what will cause you to forget? Fear. 
So he had to come to the end of himself. He had to give up and surrender. And the minute he did that, the Holy Spirit of God just picked him up in his arms and gave David a new outlook. And he's singing and giving praises to God. And then the last thing that happened was this opportunity that he followed. And you see that in the fact when you read the following verses that all of a sudden David saw these 400 guys around him as a potential army. He said, you know what? I can develop these guys. We can take the fight to the enemy. Listen, God had given David everything he needed, but when he was beaten down, he didn't see it. But once he got his eyes on the Lord and his uplook connected to his outlook, and all of a sudden he realized, I've got everything I need to do what God has called me to do. Can I tell you, you have everything you need to do what God has called you to do? Somebody said, man, if I just had her talent, or if I could just do what he did, if I just had his set of skills, if I could, no, no, no. You have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. You have his power. You have his presence. God will not, uh, he will not call on you to do something that he does not equip you to do, that he does not enable you to do, that he will not empower you to do. David had everything he needed. He just didn't know, he, he just didn't see it at the time. You remember when Moses struggled, feeling so uh, inadequate to stand before Pharaoh? And God said, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it down. Remember, it became a snake. He said, pick it up again. It became a staff. What was the point? The point was God was saying, you have everything you need in your hand to do what I've called you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, he had to change his mind in the cave before he could see the opportunity that was before him. And I contend when I close the message this morning that the man that walked out of that cave was a much different man than went in the cave. The man that went in the cave was full of fear. The man that walked out of the cave was full of faith. That man that went into to the cave was discouraged and he felt depleted. And the man that walked out of that cave was op, uh, uh, optimistic and full of power. And what God did for David, you know what? He can do that for you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that happened to those Old Testament saints happened for examples, as examples for us today. The same God that changed that young man's life can change yours. If you don't know him, I highly recommend him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can study just a chapter out of the life of David there in Adullam and realize your power has the ability to transform our thinking. I pray for my friends, many in the room, some watching, who may have just allowed the pressures of life and the problems that they're dealing with just to beat them down. They become fearful and discouraged and afraid to get out and afraid to re-engage and afraid just fear, 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 fear. Father, I pray you'll give them a different outlook. I pray, Lord, as they focus on you, the problem solver, and they get their eyes off of the problem, that you'll encourage them and give them, give them faith over their fear. And Father, help them to realize the opportunities that are there, the purpose that you have. And for those, Lord, who may, never have, may not ever have trusted you as Savior, I pray this would be the moment when they swallow their pride and they simply pray, Lord, come into my heart and forgive my sin. With everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. And Lord, I ask you to save me, encourage me, and help me. Father, bless every family. Bless every business as we're trying to get things opened again. And I pray, Father, that you'll just uh, go before us and give us wisdom. Father, we pray with great 
thanks for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be a free people. Many of our family members in this room and many watching online know of someone in our home who lost their life while defending this company, our, our country. So we honor their sacrifice and we pray for our families as we remember them this weekend. So Lord, be glorified through all that we do. Bless this time that we've spent together. I pray, Father, that your will would be done in each life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For those of you that have joined us online, let me encourage you, if you pray to receive Christ, write that in the comment. I go back through, I have my little, uh, you know, my decompression time on Sunday afternoon. I call it my holy hangover, where I can kind of, you know, kind of unwind after the weekend. And I like to read through those comments, so let me know. I'll read that, and I'd like to hear, especially for those of you that have received the Lord, really want to correspond with you. And everyone else, I'm just so happy uh, to have our group of our volunteers with us today. And uh, we're trying to get things opened up as safely as we can but we're just honored that you're here. Thanks to our tech team, our band, Rob and Laney. It's just great to do these services. We love doing them live each weekend. We've literally been reaching tens of thousands of people. It's crazy because people are sharing these services. We haven't had a weekend yet that we haven't seen someone give their heart to Christ and we haven't seen someone else uh, who have returned to God, who have wandered away from him. So never underestimate the power of you sharing that service. So thank you for joining us for the 11 o'clock. I think Dallas is coming now. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.